Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about the gender dance, the brain science behind our feminine and masculine minds. My first guest is Dr. Gertrude Lyons. She received her Bachelor in Finance and Accounting from St. Mary's College, Notre Dame, her MA in Psychology from Antioch University McGregor School, and her doctorate in education and MA in transformational leadership and coaching at the Wright Graduate Institute for the Realization of Human Potential. She currently serves as the Director of Family Programs for the Wright Foundation for the Realization of Human Potential. And she is in the house because I think, Gertrude, that's what we're talking about is human potential and using our brains to get us there. Yeah, 100%. Thanks so much, Lisa. It's just a real privilege and honor to be on on the show today. Thank you. Oh, well, it's a pleasure to have you. I am always happy to talk about the brain. You know, we are all about <laughs> brain food over here and uh, champions yeah, yeah. of using our brains, you know, through critical thinking, you know, yeah. and science and facts. And yeah. I think that the world needs to look out where we're at and look at the difference of how we use our brains as men and women to lead because we need yeah. women leaders. We really do, Lisa. I mean, I think we're we're seeing it all over the place and particularly poignant this year, right? With yes. noticing the differences in the the women who are leading and leading their countries or their states or you know, their areas and the success that they're having and and why is that? And how is that coming about? And to really take stock and and acknowledge it, not so that, you know, now women should do everything, but you know, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is a balance, right? And and honoring differences, honoring different values, different brain makeups, you know, that we're going to talk some about. But when we can really see the different values in the each and then the synergy of them working together, I think is when we'll really finally get to a win-win. I agree with you. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, two schools of thought about the human brain, what's under the human hood. There are, there are those researchers who believe and back up these beliefs with their research that the difference between a man and a woman's brain, it, that, that there is none. There may be varying degrees of, let's say, if you imagine the brain as a puzzle, those puzzle pieces, different elements being different sizes, you know. And then yeah. there are those that actually believe that our brains are different, that we we think different and operate different because the 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 actual architecture of the brain is different. Yeah, there, you know, and you know, tying into that, Lisa, is are the brains different? And then even if they are, is it really the 
the brain that's different that causes these differences or is it how we're raised, you know, and the environment yeah. that we're in. And there's so many factors um, to consider here that I, I, I like having an open mind to both, you know, and having seen the research in both areas that are strong, you know, it's strong in each, in each direction to show, but I, I like to think of it as a continuum and, and that we can see and where there are differences, what's different about the people who have, you know, attributes that we would maybe consider more feminine and their brain is geared that way versus, you know, maybe more of a, a left brain operating mode. And so <laughs> maybe we don't have to be quite so it's male, female, but, you know, I, I think there have been enough to show on that continuum that when the brain's makeups are different that way and whether they start a certain way and then how and what is valued in the family system to really you know, bring up and online those attributes, it all plays a, a role in a take, you know, I think we need to take it all into account. Well, when we look at our world today and we look at a masculine led society and the, the, the present landscape that we find ourselves in, there's some lack, right? There's that lack of heart, yeah. humanity, um, compassion and empathy that as a person in a leadership role needs to have. Yeah. And we're, we're, you know, that's, we're seeing that so poignantly this year, right, Lisa? Like oh, the, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've seen the articles on it. It's a matter of how much are we going to step up and take notice to the fact that, you know, feminine leadership and women in leadership roles are having a really positive impact and are handling uh, the situations and the pandemic and everything that's come along with it in some, you know, very positive ways. And what are, and you named some of those differences, right? Um, empathy, collaboration, you know, the ability to kind of step in, in a stressful situation like this and have more of our frontal lobe facility available and that tends to be more in what we would call the feminine brain, even if we don't want to call it man-woman brain, the feminine brain is geared more toward that. Yeah. And when we look at our feminine values, and if you go back in time hundreds of years ago, mm. we're talking about sort of before science, right, before everything was dissected and classified – there were matriarchal societies. There were countries yes. that were that were run by women. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up, uh, Lisa. And you know, not only the before science, but the theorist and um, author Leonard Schlein, who did so much research in his book, The Alphabet Versus the Goddess. Really, his theory is that it was written history that brought about the change in the values because written history versus our pictorial history that was that was kind of dominating the landscape before that was more a more feminine way of expression and expressing ourselves whereas language is so linear and it it literally according to his research you know shifted our brains into a more linear masculine brain so it's, you know, the, between that and then our, our need for science to prove our experience, 
we've lost some of that, not some of that, it's, <laughs> it, we've really shifted the balance, right? And to where we are now, where we're so out of balance between masculine and feminine values. But those were, I think, two of the biggest contributors. Um, I remember when I was a young woman and when I was coming up in the world that it was thought, and this is really archaic, and I'm embarrassed f for society to repeat this, but maybe you can also relate to a memory similar to this, that mm. women should not be leaders because they have their periods and they have yes. monthly fluctuations. Can you believe, I mean, it sounds <laughs> so absurd, yes. right? Um, but oh my gosh, it and it was, I mean, the things that were believed in the propaganda around how everything female and everything feminine was either, you know, talked about as evil, you know, the, the, you know, you're banished to hell for it. Or, you know, like you're saying, you're not fit to lead, you're not fit to speak or be educated. I mean, you know, I mean, it was really bad. It, and it still is in, yeah. a, in some areas where you're not treated, you're treated the same as an animal, you know, being a woman. So, but really the truth is that because we have those monthly cycles and fluctuations, we can bring more to our leadership and it's yes. the exact opposite, you know, not, it, it's not true at all. I mean, they're different, right? The, again, we're going to keep talking about, we're not overvaluing one or the other, but the feminine has been so undervalued. We kind of have to amplify it um, and its positive qualities even more so than we we're pretty clear what the masculine <laughs> positives are. You know, we're not going to argue that. And when we find a male leader, for example, that is able to express that feminine energy in his verbal discourse and in, in his actions, you know, where compassion and empathy and vulnerability yeah. and collaboration are prized commodities of his leadership you see a pretty darn good male leader. A hundred percent, right? Like, um, I mean, the, as you were saying that, I had images of Gandhi, Christ, yeah. yes. you know, um, Martin Luther King, you know, like they're, and they're so powerful, right? But they have, I think, you know, what you're saying is more of a balance of the masculine and the feminine in their demeanor and their way of life and, and how they led. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation with Dr. Gertrude Lyons. We're talking about male versus female brains, leadership, and where we are in the world today and where we'd like to go. To learn more, please visit drgertrudelyons.com on Twitter at GE Lyons, on Facebook, that's Gertrude.Lyons.3, and on Instagram, that handle is Dr. Gertrude Lyons. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a guarantee. Before we pause, let's celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and get real about the importance of a sound body and mind for a happy life. Taking care of our mental health should not be a luxury, but a self-care necessity. And that's why I'm proud to be partnered with Talkspace Online Therapy and a client. Therapy can really help shift your perspective teach new tools to cope in difficult times, and be a guiding light in the stormy seas of life. That's why I recommend and subscribe to Talkspace. 
Therapy can help catalyze change and positively improve your relationships, your career, and your overall happiness. I really love that you can sign up and start therapy on the same day. Talkspace lets you send and receive text, video, or voice messages to your dedicated therapist on the Talkspace platform, and they'll engage with you daily, five days a week. Best of all, Talkspace is a fraction of the cost and more convenient than in-person therapy. It's like having your own on-call mental health angel. And Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists trained in more than 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, relationship issues, food and eating, and so much more. Talkspace offers a private and secure HIPAA-compliant platform that uses the latest end-to-end bank-grade encrypted technology that provides a secure virtual space to talk it out with your therapist from the comfort and privacy wherever you are, whenever, and for whatever is on your mind. Feeling seen, heard, and understood always makes us feel better. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the promo code HAPPINESS to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's HAPPINESS and Talkspace.com. Now let's take that quick break. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. And we are back, continuing the exploration of the gender dance, the brain science behind our feminine and masculine minds. Let's get back to the conversation with my guest, Dr. Gertrude Lyons. So I'm going to just bounce the ball back to you, Gertrude, to continue the conversation. You had mentioned going back to Leonard Schlein. Yeah, because we were talking about, you know, what what is it about the, why is there seeming to be a bit more of an opening for the women leaders stepping up? And it made me think about how Leonard Schlein and his work is pinpointing still around the language and the shift in our in our thinking and our way of being that's been so heavily masculine for in, in his, and I, I tend to agree, like 6,000 years, um, that we're starting to bring in, it was like one, one thing he names is photography, images, bringing images back into our everyday language and the way we communicate and the way we share. And with the internet and computers and the way, I mean, literally emojis, right? We're no yeah. longer just expressing ourselves with the written linear word, we're, we're using visuals. We've become so much more visual. And I think I just want to underline that one because I think it's a little bit different than what we think like, oh, well, you know, this political act was done or, you know, we've we've allowed more of it. But I think it's it's happening more under the surface than we realize. So I wanted to name that one because as we, as you mentioned, we're seeing more um more women's in leadership positions for a long enough time. And they're not, and we also started out in leadership positions trying to be like men. So that happened for a while. Right. And I, I'm so grateful for the women, you know, just getting our foot in the door, um, really feeling like the only way we're going to get in is if we kind of 
act like a banana in the bunch and, you know, and live with feminine values. And, you know, there were some women leaders who decided like, that's not working for me. I don't feel satisfied or fulfilled. I have to be more myself as a woman. And um, Margaret Heffernan is one of those women who I admire in that regard because she was hugely successful. And then she realized she was really playing a man's game and then shifted um, to allowing more of what you mentioned, you know, early on in the program, Lisa, allowing to bring in these feminine values, you know, her empathy, her collaboration. Um, you know, women tend to not so much want to be in the spotlight for what they, they really want, a more holistic, everybody uh, benefiting from their actions and from the actions at large. They'll take into account the whole, you know, the feminine tends to think more holistically and what's good for everybody versus a few. And, you know, we're seeing that. We're seeing it in businesses where, you know, women in leadership, it's not just it feels better at the office. The profits are higher. I mean, you know, there's many Harvard Business Review, Review articles and Bernard Bass's leadership, um, his book on leadership, where he claimed that by 2030, we're going to we'll really see a shift where more women will be at the at the helm because it's what our world needs. And yeah. You know, it's, I think we're, we're seeing it, but we're not, you know, stepping up quite as like force, forcefully and, and that's okay. It's going to take a little time, but we have to keep moving in that direction. But politically, going back to what we were saying before with the break about so many women stepping forward to run for office, to win, mm-hmm. win, win their mm-hmm. campaigns, um, their races, and they're in office. And then the leadership roles they've taken, whether it's on a state level or nationwide level, it's been very interesting to watch that the sort of the the um, play or use of feminine energy because women tend to nurture right we are the, mm-hmm. we're, the we're the mother figures and yep. we want the family to be happy whereas the male energy is the provider energy right it's the divide and conquer energy and it worked for a time when you think about it right if it's to you know provide for the employees we're talking about a fifties sixties mentality. And then suddenly it, 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 it stopped working, right? That the, the, that energy became somewhat oppressive. Yeah. I like, um, thinking of the, the yin yang symbol, if, um, you know, that's been a symbol for balance in the masculine and feminine for, you know, eons in the Eastern culture. And if you picture that, you know, that beautiful image of the, the, the dark and the light and the, you know, in symmetry, Right now, you know, the the masculine side of it is kind of squashing, has been squashing the feminine. But I think people are starting to wake up and realize that we can't be complacent anymore and that the system that we've been living under isn't working. It's not providing um, for what we're, I think everybody's starting to yearn more for, which is an atmosphere that's inclusive, you know, and an atmosphere that's collaborative, um, where there's more of a shared vision and more voices are heard because in the, in the, you know, the masculine landscape, most voices were, were muted and it was, you know, it could tend to varying degrees, be a more authoritarian, the alpha dog, (laughs) the alpha dog, exactly. (laughs) Like I'm in charge and that's it versus, you know, I'm kind of leading the ship, but we're all in this together. And for us to really come to solutions that work for everybody, we have to hear from everybody. 
we have to take into account. And that's something the feminine brain and um, actions do way more, way more so. And I think people are, are demanding it more, which is why, you know, we're seeing more inclusivity, more voting women into roles, you know, not just to like, oh, we, we want a chart that shows that there are more women in there. It's because we're starting to see that what they're doing is working. And, you know, when you look at the, the pandemic, you know, it was a, a global situation. It was a great equalizer in many ways because it made us really understand that we are all in it together, right? That the only way out of it is through it together. And yep. that it required that feminine energy, that feminine approach to solve the problem. So in my view, it is the silver lining. You know, nobody wishes for this pandemic mm -hmm. or anything like it to happen for again, but you know, it will because we're yep. humans and we're, we're living, breathing organisms and we coexist uh, with other nature and, and contagions happen. But the, mm -hmm. the solution, the way we've gotten through it, I think has been so creative in, in so many ways in the areas where we are challenged, where we've been speed bumped and roadblocked has occurred in my view and maybe in yours and some of our other listeners is in that this play, the difference between men and women and how we problem solve and how we lead. Gosh, we've, we've certainly have such profound examples of it, right? Yeah. Lisa? Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I just want to, you know, bow down to the prime minister of New Zealand. Yes. And, you know, it, and it's not like she's just you know, hugging everybody. You know, I think sometimes we have this image of the feminine that is this just nurturing and everything's like soft, easy and nice. It's, you know, there's that mama bear, like we are protecting, you know, yeah. we are, we are putting up a container and a barrier here that is going to keep us safe. And you will listen because I'm a mama bear and I'm in charge and, you know, that way we will be safe. So, um, I, I, I just, totally got lost thinking about her. <laughs> but, but but she got the buy-in. I think that the interesting yes. part about these countries that are led by, by women is that they got the buy-in. They had the respect of their citizens, the compliance of their citizens, and um, the cooperation and collaboration of, of their citizens. And that, to me, is... Um, compelling evidence for the big why, you know, why, yes. why women make good leaders. You know, sorry, Lisa, this, I, I, I think what, you know, what you're saying is, is so right on. And it isn't just like she showed up and they were in some masculine paradigm and, but now they like, you know, magically accepted her. I, I, I know if we, and I haven't studied her extensively, like through her career, the country of New Zealand, but I'm thinking about other countries, you know, where women in general, you know, women in the workforce, women, you know, that decide to have children, um, there's just a whole different atmosphere around women and motherhood that, and um, the value of non-paid work and, you know, supporting women to be in the workforce. Um, and I don't know if that's exactly, but I imagine that there have been They've, they had already seen where things were working, you know, with, with bringing in a more feminine approach so that, you know, when it came time to something like this, they're like, yeah, I'm listening to you because you, you've been making things work already, right? We're not yeah. going to see that. And I think in the U S we're just opening the door 
you know, to that. The fact that we're, you know, we're just now having our first woman vice president when there have been women presidents, prime ministers, you know, all over the world for ages now, um, you know, is a sign that we're, we're, we're behind, uh, you know, many other countries in this regard. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that we're behind the times, but we're catching up. You know, I, do, I agree. We're yep. smartening up and we're catching up. And the other thing that I, I observe in, because I also work with a lot of men in the context of the show and, and our guests, I'm seeing mm-hmm. a new generation of male leader emerging, you know, that, that the men are learning from the women. And I think we as women are also learning from the men. And I can speak to one quality in particular that mm-hmm. I think um, for me, uh, not taking things sure. personally. You know, I think that uh, learning that quality from my male counterparts, men are easy, more easily apt to say, you know, well, that happened. Okay, whatever. We're just going to move on. Not necessarily sweeping it under the rug, but not personalizing it. And I think that that's a great leadership trait. And I want to I want to give the attaboys (laughs) to the guys for that. I totally agree. And I I like calling that. Lisa, I like calling that using the masculine in service of the feminine. Yes. You know, so as women, we may not, you know, completely adopt or feel like we have to like, but those are important tools. And if we have them in our toolkit, you know, they're there for us to be able to manifest the feminine more, um, but they're not our dominant value. You know, they're, they're, but they're, but they're still as equally valuable, if that makes sense. Yes. You know, value them equally. And we... And and I love what you were saying too. You know, men that are are opening themselves up to you know more feminine leadership. I know my husband has been on that journey for for through his career, and would say it's his work in in you know social emotional intelligence and kind of letting go of a lot of the myths around you know what the old model of manhood, so to speak, of you know keep your emotions in check and don't let yourself have any of them and just always you know, put it out there that you're confident and right. Um, by letting go of some of that, he, you know, he saw huge changes and more fulfillment in his leadership. It it works better, but we also find more meaning and fulfillment when we're operating in the ways that are more, um, in line with, I don't know, I, maybe how we're designed, but they, they certainly feel more right internally. And when we talk about creating more meaning in our lives, I think when we look at what it means to lead a happy life and a fulfilling mm-hmm. life, the attachment to meaning is is huge. So yeah. it's in service not only to the greater good, but in service to ourselves and our own personal life satisfaction. Yeah, it really is, Lisa, because, you know, when we're not living true to you know, our, our inner landscape or, you know, things that have been restricted in us as far as our expression or, you know, our thoughts and how we think of things and are valued, we're, we're, we're then just kind of filling a slot or, you know, trying to fit in and we're going to have diminished meaning in our life. You know, it won't, it'll be like, we can even, we can even operate that way and meet huge goals but then yeah. find ourselves wondering why, why don't, why aren't I more fulfilled by this? Because I haven't really been me. Yeah, the the the, the um the basket hasn't been filled with really golden eggs, you know, which are yeah. this whole this whole person approach to life and leadership. We are out of time, and this is a conversation that needs to be ongoing. 
We'll have you back. To learn more, please visit drgertrudelyons.com, on Twitter at GE Lyons, on Facebook, gertrude.lyons.3, and on Instagram, you can find Dr. Gertrude Lyons at Dr. Gertrude Lyons. Gertrude, come and hang out anytime. Lisa, it's been such a pleasure and privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. That's a promise. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. are back. Continuing the exploration of the gender dance, the brain science behind our feminine and masculine minds. My next guest is Andrew Reiner. He teaches at Towson University, where he offers the seminar, The Changing Face of Masculinity. He has written on masculinity and men's issues for the New York Times, the Washington Post Magazine, and Italy's La Repubblica. His work has been featured on NPR, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, and in Men's Health, Forbes, and The Guardian. He speaks frequently about masculinity at schools and conferences around the world. And he's here with me in the house to talk about this really important subject from a mountaintop. (laughs) And I say the mountaintop because I hear the whoosh, 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 you know? That's right. I, you know, I apologize about that. No apologies Um, required. But it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be here, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I, I am really interested in this subject matter. And we really actively seek out this kind of content because, you know, we want to deliver responsible programming to our listeners. And most of our listeners are parents or grandparents or young adults themselves. And there is a disconnect in what it means to be a man today in the old image of, you know, macho man. I'm thinking about the, um, the village people song of a hundred years ago, right? Um, <laughs> which is going to date me. It probably won't date you. Um, but this is something that I think we need to look at. And I think it's governing everything these days, including when we look at what's happening in, in government. What does it mean to be a man? Yeah. It does. So, you know, I think you're right, Lisa. I think that, you know, for younger men, especially, you know, there's a lot of conflicted messages. You know, there's been a lot of progress with a lot of younger men, and they've really been kind of pushing, you know, they've really been breaking with the old script. And and in a lot of positive ways, you know, there's they, um, a lot of younger men are more affectionate. Yeah, you know, than than middle aged and older guys are, they're a lot more openly affectionate, which is which is a huge, huge step. you know, in my book, I, I, you know, interviewed a lot of young men, you know, who talked about not just about being affectionate, but, you know, but, but basically relearning how to cry. Um, and that's an important verb, relearning, because that is so much of the masculine experience um, when there is more healthy masculinity at work. So much of it is about relearning. And so there's a lot of really, you know, really kind of positive ways that young men are showing up with a healthier masculinity. And, and, you know, one of the things that you can look at superficially is, you know, the fact that, you know, the way that a lot of, a lot of younger men dress, you know, you could look at it and say, oh, it's, it's, you know, a term a couple of years ago was metrosexual and that there's a lot of kind of more gender fluidity in the way they're dressing. And, and that's true. And that's, 
representative of a lot of the sea changes that are going on underneath. That said, there is a big, a big, a big kind of chasm within young men, because even though they are rewriting the script in terms of masculine identity, there are a lot of ways of, of being a kind of hyper-masculine guy. A lot of these old vestiges that a lot of young men still cling to that are not serving them and in turn the rest of us. And the kind of thing I'm talking about is that when a lot of younger men have problems, they often will turn within. Time after time after time, I interviewed so many high school and college-age young men, boys and young men, who would talk about the need to prove themselves to themselves and to the other boys and men that they respected. And they always felt this need, as men always have, this need to prove themselves to the men that they respect. And what that always meant was having to do things on their own. And, you know, what they're not being taught is that independence is really good to building resiliency. Of course it is. But when you, but when you take it to the extreme, which is what a lot of boys and, and young men still do, is that it starts to go from becoming adaptive to maladaptive. And it starts becoming dangerous because they feel like there's everything. If they're going to be men, if they're going to quote unquote be men, and they're going to really, you know, you know, prove themselves to, to the men that they admire, to their parents, to the world, it means that they've got to go to the extreme and they've got to do everything on their own and they yeah. will not ask for help. And the other thing that's really important too, that I write about in the book, um, and actually there's another piece I just did for the New York times recently that that's been getting a lot of traction because it talks to kind of the inner world of so many men in terms of they think, and I, I write about this in the book so often, they think that they're really opening up a lot of younger men. And I'd say to them, well, what does that look like? What do you mean? Well, almost always, Lisa, what they were doing is they were talking about a specific problem. And it was what I call targeted transparency. They'd be very intentional and deliberate about the few things that they would share with guy friends. It was targeted. And then what they were really looking for was advice or solutions. What they were never getting was emotional support. And what yeah. they were doing, and so many older men do this, and a lot of younger men are doing this without realizing it, is that they would turn to females who were friends, who were girlfriends, and they would, when it came to really needing the emotional support, they looked there. And, and these two things that I'm talking about, you know, this unwillingness to really reach out and ask for help, and this feeling that they can't turn to other boys and men for emotional support, is a huge, huge problem. And it's really beneath, I am completely convinced, and I make a strong case, I try to make a strong case and outline this in the book. I really do believe this is beneath a lot of the problems we're seeing when, when there are much higher rates of anxiety and depression in boys and young men than we realize. And, and the spikes in suicide, and of course, what's being exacerbated by the pandemic is the epidemic of loneliness. Yeah. What you say makes me think of countless young men that I have sat with where I would talk about the V word, you know, <laughs> and yeah, they would go yeah. like, the I, yep. V word, what? <laughs> so today, yeah. let's have a little fun with vulnerability. And that's very frightening, in spite of all that has been written and all that has been published and broadcast in recent years, you know, with Brene Brown sort of groundbreaking foray into the exploration yeah. of vulnerability as really being um, strength and courage, you know, 
But this is very, very frightening to young men. And part of it, I think, is the parenting. Part of it is society's messaging. And then when we look to athletics in school, how the whole coaching methodology really compromises that sense of vulnerability. It's saying that you must be invulnerable in order to be a good athlete, in order to be a good man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, there's, there, you know, coaches, most coaches would never admit this. Um, and I do write a lot about, about coaches and the impact they have in, on a chapter on, on toxic masculinity in sports in my book. But, you know, so many boys and young men, and even their fathers, you know, often still look to coaches as these kinds of gatekeepers, you know, to what a competent mas- you know, masculinity should look like. The problem with that is that so many of these coaches, the messages that they're sending boys are about invulnerability and they are, and they, and they, and they are these kinds of behaviors about detaching themselves from the deeper parts of their emotional lives. And so, you know, that's something that a lot of boys, you know, really are taught without ever knowing it, you know, in infancy, there's a chapter in the book I have called, um, how we talk to, how we talk to boys. And, you know, in utero and once boys are born, there are very clear messages that we teach boys and coaches just really are the ones who just beat this in, you know, ad nauseum. But, but a lot of us do unwittingly teach boys that they are not emotional beings mm-hmm. and that we, and, and that really, it's, it's really this message that they should be detached from the deeper parts of their being and, 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 so much of, of, of what coaches often impart, especially in, in um, you know, more contact sports, are about, you know, keeping a, a, a big, big distance, a separation of um, emotions, unless, unless it's emotions that lead to domination. Obviously, anger and rage are those kinds of, you know, those kinds of feelings. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's you know, boys, boys are being inculcated with these messages. And even if they're not playing the sports, um, you know, when it comes to certain kinds of sports in our culture, for instance, NFL football, I mean, you know, that's really become, you know, America's sport and America's religion. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And a lot of people, that's right. And a lot of people are fans, you know, fandom is, has really kind of taken the place of, of being involved, being an athlete yourself. But so much about that, you know, really speaks to the same messages that the boys are getting on the field. And um, there's just a real disconnect between how we raise boys and them learning to think of themselves as integrated human beings who have access to the full breadth and depth of their humanity. And that is our challenge, I think, as parents, as teachers, as coaches, um, as mentors of men. I mean, it's, it's for all. I mean, it shouldn't be, it actually shouldn't be gender based. We all should be free to, uh, have the gamut of our emotions and become emotionally intelligent and socially intelligent. But I think it's harder one for men. And I'm wondering, um, if this also has to do with wiring. You talk about in your book, Better Boys, Better Men, the wiring of masculinity and the ballsy truth about it. And um, we're going to go to a break in a minute, but maybe we can segue into it and then come back and continue that conversation. But the wiring of a boy, of a man is different. Yes and no. I mean, you know, I've been researching, I did, you know, I researched and worked in this book for close to four years. And I have to tell you, you know, in all the years I was doing the research, um, the only thing that I could really come back to that really seemed that the wiring was different, largely different for boys and girls, 
um, had to do with the development of the right hemisphere of the brain. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that happens largely um, in utero. And, and it continues, you know, well, well throughout childhood. Um, and so, there, you know, there, there, there is a little bit of a difference there that does affect um, not so much their emotional intelligence, but it really, what it really affects is their emotional regulation. Yeah. So really, when we talk about, you know, the wiring difference between boys and girls, you know, in terms of, um, you know, the big differences, it really, in all the research I've done, the most updated research, it's that it's really the emotional regulation in the brain. That is, that is the deficit, you know, that boys start out with. Um, and part of, part of that is fueled by the way that testosterone at certain stages of, of male development floods the brain. And, it, and, and it's part of that part of the brain that really gets affected with emotional regulation. And so that's something that when you think about it, <laughs> is going to be a challenge for boys the rest of their lives. <laughs> so, so much of when you, when you, when you look at masculinity, a kind of hyper traditional masculinity, when you think about it, you know, that idea about being stoic and now for younger guys, it's always about being cool and being badass. You know, it's about being detached and looking as if nothing is making you sweat. And yeah. that is all a, that is all a cover up. Let's jump off for a break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with my guest today, Professor Andrew Reiner. We're talking about better boys, better men, the new masculinity that creates greater courage and emotional resiliency. To learn more about Andrew and his work, please visit andrewreinerauthor.com and on Instagram at andrew.reiner.author. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. back continuing my conversation with Andrew Reiner we're exploring the gender dance the brain science behind our feminine and masculine minds let's get back to it Andrew prior to the break we were talking a little bit about the differences between boys and girls and the wiring of masculinity you mentioned that there's a difference between right brain wiring and left brain wiring right brain being the creative side and left brain being the more pragmatic side would you say the more linear side yeah, yeah, but I, I do want to say, Lisa, that I really think that you know, after all the research I've done, I really, you know, like I said, I've been, you know, I've been on this topic for four years. I really don't think that you know we are still at a place of men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I really do not think that a lot of what we used to believe ten, fifteen, twenty years ago still holds up. You know, there's been research that has been done. There's a fantastic neuroscientist out of Tel Aviv University, I think her name is Daphna Joel, who's done a lot of groundbreaking work with the human brain. 
And what she has found is that men and women's brains share 98% of the same, the same genetic and, and structural makeup. So, you know, the, the amount of difference in the male and female brain is negligible. What I was really talking about is that, is that the, the right side of the male brain does develop more slowly. And part of that, from what some researchers have found, is that the, the brain in utero, and then and again, I forgot the exact age, but it's in, it, you know, just after toddlerhood, but the male brain gets flooded with testosterone. The whole body does. And one of the things that that does is that affects um, the, the right hemisphere of the brain. And what it does is it really ends up making it more vulnerable, more susceptible to certain kinds of uh, neurological illnesses. It's one of the reasons that a lot of people are now believing that that's part of the reason why we see um, more boys and men on the, on the Asperger's um, spectrum and, and with autism than we do with females. But that, that's a whole other kind of, kind of rabbit hole to go, to go down. But also, when we look at also um, substance abuse, when we look at, you know, I'm just going to talk about my own experience when, you know, seeing clients, most of the clients were young men, you know, and I don't think that that's an accident. I think that it's actually speaking to what y- y- you're, you're addressing here. Well, I think I, yeah, but, but I, but I also do think that, that the, I think we should, we should absolutely positively consider that the right side of the brain is affected with emotional regulation. And clearly that's going to play out big time with things like you're saying with substance abuse. But I also really think we need to hold up. I would maintain personally as an even larger factor really is the socialization. Yeah, I, I do think that I do think the emotional regulation is something that we're going to start to talk about more in the future. I hope we will. And the struggles that so many boys have with that. And again, what happens is that if boys were sent the message at a young age that the way that they're acting out and, and, the, and their inabilities to regulate themselves, if we wouldn't tell them, you've got to suck it up. You've got to look like you're in control. Yeah, you've don't got be to a look sissy. Cool be a man. Older. Yeah, right. All these things, you know, you've got to get it together, man. You know, and and if and if they didn't have these messages, probably the, that probably would be the best thing for them because what would happen is that they would be getting the help they need with emotional regulation at younger ages because the socialization makes it so much harder for boys. They become so disconnected from all the feelings and struggles of what goes on internally with them because they're told you, you can't break a sweat. You can't let anybody see what you're really thinking or feeling. And so when, when you compound that already with a deficit and a struggle with emotional regulation, what's happening is that, you know, boys are disconnected. And so it's not a coincidence that more males, far more males than females into adulthood um, suffer with something called alexithymia and, and, yeah. um, there's there's a, a researcher, um, a psychologist named Ronald Levant, um, who's coined a term called normative male alexithymia, and what it basically means is emotions without words. Yeah, the inability to identify what your one's feeling, right? That's exactly right, and yeah. and that I really I, I I absolutely positively believe that 
all of that, I really do believe, comes from the ingrained messages that boys are getting at extremely young ages before they can ever figure it out themselves. Um, as I say, you know, the chapter in my book in, in, in How We Talk to Boys really unpacks this in depth, but it starts, it starts at extremely young ages in the different ways that mothers and fathers talk to sons versus daughters. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, being the parent of one of each... <laughs> I I have observed um, the differences in my own communication style. I would love to hear about, may I ask you a question? On yes, that topic, please. please. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So what is the difference in, in the ways that you've noticed as a, as a parent? What are the ways that you've noticed? And, and of course, as a mother, that you've communicated differently with your son versus your daughter? Well, I think that uh, when the kids were younger, I found myself... Um, becoming more stereotypical in my approach, you know, the girl with the dolls and the boys with the sports. And then I, you know, ran an experiment and tried to, you know, push my daughter into sports, which didn't work well and push my son into Build-A-Bear, which didn't work well, you know? So, (laughs) but, but what I have noticed, well, my kids growing up with somebody who is more interested, you know, because of my practice and my profession in, emotional intelligence and social intelligence and um, mentoring young people, you know, they got the benefit of that. But I remember shaming my son. And and if he ever listens to this episode, he'll he'll laugh and his eyes will roll. When he was about seven or eight years old, he came home with like, I want to say it was a C or a D on, on some quiz. And I said to him, it's really horrifying what I said. I said, if you don't get it together, you're going to be like the only Jewish kid pumping gas for a living. (laughs) (laughs) I should have been slapped, you know? (laughs) I know, but that's the kind of stuff that comes out in those moments of fear as a parent. Yes. Yes. That's great. I thank you so much for your honesty and your courage in in sharing that, because I think it's important, I'm sure for your listeners to know that this is the kind of thing that we do. Yes. You know, and I've had so many conversations with with my wife, who um, is an incredibly um, empathetic, caring, compassionate woman. She's a home birth midwife. And there are so many conversations when our son was younger. He's nine now um, where I I would have to say, look, you know, (laughs) if you listen to really kind of what you're saying, it sounds really stereotypical. And really, it's it's really kind of everything that I'm I'm kind of working to unravel here. So that so that he's not going to get stuck in the same rut that so many of the boys and young men I'm I'm, I'm interviewing for this book are in. Yeah, I mean, we, I think as parents we all do it without really realizing what we're doing, and then when we stop and That's take right. take responsibility for the um, emotional food we're feeding our kids, the shift then happens. But I mean, it yeah. was not a proud moment. You know, my my son is 21 years old now. He is a college athlete at a D1 school. He um, wears black nail polish. Um, He is a like, he's an amazing kid, but he he is a little bit in that realm that you described. He's very comfortable in his own skin. He doesn't care what anybody thinks in that way. And I'm so proud of him for that, you know? Yeah, no, that that's, that's, as as, uh, you know, if you don't mind me saying as well, you should be. But but the deeper parts of this disconnect that boys and young men have, and this is, you know, a lot of these incredibly thoughtful, sensitive, um, really well-intentioned young men. And, and they just, they, they're, it's like this, this like deep, dark secret. 
Yeah. You know, where they, where they, there's so many things they can talk about. There's so many ways they can kind of push, you know, push the, the, the envelope and, and break that old script. But this is one that is literally, not just figuratively, literally killing them. Yeah. You know, it is, I interviewed, I just, I have so many stories of boys and young men I interviewed who just, who suffer from, you know, suicidal thoughts. Yes. And, suicidal and, thoughts. And so often, Shame. Yep. And so, absolutely. And so often it went back to the same thing. They felt like they were failing as men. Ugh. I'm, I'm, it's not a proud moment for me like, when I think about, you know, I, when I think about the damage that I have caused and I said, I will pay for as much therapy as you think you need now and forever. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, fortunately, he hasn't taken me up on it at this moment, but he gets it. He gets my remorse over it because I learned as he, as he did that, you know, I had yeah, to be exactly. different. Yeah, we are out of time and we should continue this conversation because I think it's very topical. It's relevant to so much of society today. The book we're speaking about is. is Better Boys, Better Men, The New Masculinity That Creates Greater Courage and Emotional Resiliency. My guest today has been Professor Andrew Reiner. To learn more about Andrew and his work, please visit andrewreinerauthor.com. On Instagram, that handle is andrew.reiner.author. Andrew, come back and hang out because I feel like we've only scratched the surface with this. And moms and dads out yeah. there, we have a we have a a moral obligation to support our children in the most healthy, uh, loving way possible. And I'm sure I'm not alone in making stupid mistakes, but um, we can we can no, we can God. undo them. <laughs> we can. We can. We absolutely can, and we can show up for them you know, throughout their lives. And it, it doesn't have to just, we don't have to live in the past with this. We can, we can change it and we can change it for our boys and young men in the present. We really can. Yeah. We thank can. you so much, Lisa. This has been such a, a wonderful conversation and, and an honor. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest, Dr. Gertrude Lyons and Andrew Reiner, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day, will ya? Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.